VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. After Manchester City and Real Madrid play out a brilliant Champions League semi-final, will City be left ruining missed opportunities? Also, Liverpool beat Villarreal to put one and a half feet in the final. How poor were the yellow submarine? We'll talk about the Ballon d'Or, Sadio Mane versus Karim Benzema and whether Mauricio Pochettino could make a return to the Premier League. And we'll also ask you whether two-legged semi-finals should go from the Champions League. All that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello again, I'm Hugh Wisencroft. This is The Game and joining me today, Tom Clark and Ian Hawkey to reflect on what was a pretty interesting week in terms of European competition with more to come as we speak. It's Thursday morning, but we have to begin with the brilliant game at the Etihad Stadium. Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3 in that semi-final first leg. It was end-to-end, it had just about everything. It was a, it was a madcap game at times, but it had high quality too and drama and just about everything that Champions League games of this magnitude should be about. It was a brilliant game, Tom. Absolutely incredible. Um, I think my favourite moment was at some point early in the uh, second half when it was 3-2 and Americ Laporte found himself in the box playing as a striker and got on the end of a cross and nearly scored. And I was just like... This with this is one of those games. This, this could genuinely be any score by the end of this. Who knows? Um, I mean, the amount of chances that City created, especially, was absolutely remarkable. You're watching that first half, just thinking, "This is extraordinary." And to their credit, I think you know, generally with the overall discussion around the way the competitions, the Premier League, uh, and the Champions League is going, I think. City deserve huge credit for the entertainment they put on show and the level of football that they're playing at the minute. I think sometimes we can take that a little bit for granted when we get wrapped up in all this drama, which which they help to create. So, I mean, it was truly extraordinary, some of the football that they were, they were putting on. But also, Real played their part, as I'm sure Ian's going to talk about. And Alison uh, wrote a really interesting piece in the wake of the game talking about the kind of slightly mad way in which Real exist uh, at the moment with kind of older players, um, almost kind of slightly harking back to the Galatico era. Um, and it kind of seemed to suit suit the game, but also weirdly suit them. It, it, I, I couldn't quite get my head around the fact that they seem to be okay with conceding all these chances because it seemed like they were like, it's fine, we'll get our moment, we'll still be in this. And the way kind of Benzema wheeled away after that goal, and you're thinking... You're still four three down, mate. What's going on? And he, but it, 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 it weirdly all looked like part of the plan. I'm sure it wasn't for Ancelotti, but yeah, it was absolutely remarkable and um, one of the absolute classics of all time. You must have missed the close ups on the Real Madrid players' faces after it became four two because they they didn't look like it was going to be a a comfortable evening. To be perfectly clear, no, absolutely. But uh, as I say, there there was something strange about the ebb and flow of the game because it wasn't 
it wasn't a kind of back and forth. It was kind of like two thirds endless city. And then Madrid would have their moment, but they always seem to take take the chance. Um, particularly the kind of three one, three two moment. It was a and then and then Madrid kind of went back into the oh god, bloody hell, we've still got to contain these guys. And then they come out of it with a four three. I'd I would i be I you know, I'm I'm fascinated to hear what Ian's got to say in terms of how it was viewed in Spain um and what the reaction is, because I don't know whether it would be the same that we're still seeing it. I know mean, a lot of the English media is like, oh God, we've got to be worried about Madrid, but they they lost they lost the game. They lost 4-3 um, and were embarrassed at some points by how City played. So I'd be interested to know where, how the reception was in Spain. Actually, I, I think Tom's right. I think there's, there's probably um, a bit more awe um, from from the British media than from the Spanish media. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think justifiably... Um, Madrid are a bit worried about this because, yeah, it, it, it could have been twice. It could have been eight, couldn't it? Um, uh, it, it? Obviously, they're emboldened by the comebacks that have got them to this stage um, and believe in the aura of the Bernabeu and, 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 and clearly the individual brilliance of Benzema and, to a certain extent, Vinicius to pull something out of the bag. But they can't, they can't pretend that City aren't going to create... A substantial number of chances in the second leg, um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I think overall they're, they're a little bit they're a little bit nervous about this. And, and remember, you know, Chelsea Chelsea came out really impressively in the Bernabeu as well, and, and possibly Madrid was slightly fortunate to get through that one. So, so yeah, I, I, I think the whole myth of Madrid, while while promoted very very eagerly by Real Madrid, um, is possibly having. A more convincing effect on um, on 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 the English side rather than the Spanish side. I've got to say, I was I, was, I say disappointed in Manchester City. There was a part of me oh, that come felt, on, Hugh, you can't be disappointed in Manchester City. Oh, after hold that. on, let me let come me finish on. the point. Let me finish the point. <laughs> let me finish the point. If you look at Real Madrid, they thrive in the chaos. If you like, if you look at the way that they came past Paris Saint Germain and they came past Chelsea and they got their goals against City. You know, if the game becomes um, fractured, if the game becomes end-to-end, um, if there is a lack of, of organisation and control by their opponents, they will take their opportunities, Real Madrid. And that is a, a measure of the, the quality and experience that is in um, their side. But if you if you look at the way their goals have come in those knockout rounds... I mean, the majority of them is living off the mistakes of their opponents. And there was a, a moment, as soon as that fourth goal went in, I was screaming, Ilkay Gundogan, where are you? Get him on the pitch. Get a player that's going to put their foot on the ball and totally slow this down. Because it had become a battle of the wills, actually. And I think Pep Guardiola was enjoying it too much. And he forgot that there were two legs. And he sort of went, oh, you know, if we just keep going like this, end to end, if we if we just, you know, we get in so many chances, all we need to do, you know, is keep putting them away and this tie could be over. And I think he got, and I know he's vastly experienced, but, you know, he, he, he didn't get dragged into the event, the occasion, if you like, and the way that the game was going. I think that's a bit too far. But he definitely spotted an opportunity, I think, to put the game to bed and the tie to bed. And what he thought was, do you know what? Let's just go with it. We'll, let, we'll go with it. And if it's 4-3, which it ended up, we've still got another game to go, but it could be 5-2 or it could be 6-2. And I'd rather that because you definitely should have 
Shut up shop, again, I'm using the wrong term every time I try and speak because all of these are over the top. But what they should have done is just try to control the tempo a lot more. I think it was their third goal, City, when they finally, the, the game slowed down and they scored a goal with relative ease, actually, um, when they just put together a lot of passes and and they, they'd made Real Madrid really chase it. And I think for most of the game, you know, it was far too back and forth. Again, I think they should be happy with a 4-3 win. But of course, we all saw on the balance of play, it probably should have been more, which which left me feeling, which left a lot of the pundits afterwards talking about it and a lot of the questions being asked in the press conferences about a missed opportunity for Manchester City. Um, because I'll come back to the chaos, but I, but I should ask you whether you agree with that. Is it a missed opportunity, Tom? You can't um, disagree with that. Uh, statement in a simple sense, just purely on based on how many chances City had. I think I would slightly look at praising City and Pep Guardiola if it is the case that they went they went for it uh, and and sought that kind of five five two rather than four three tie over type thing because we often nitpick quite a lot at Guardiola in these big games for overthinking um, and actually. When you think about this game against Madrid at home, you think about the Liverpool game. Yes, it finished 2-2, but that was largely because of Liverpool's containment. City have been fantastic in these big games lately. Absolutely superb. They've created so many chances. They've been by far the more dominant and more impressive team. And I would choose instead to praise them for that because Guardiola and City in these big games have been accused of freezing, overthinking, not getting it right, um, being uh, stopped or halted in some way by the opposition. And as you say, I'm sure Ian will talk about Real existing in this world of chaos because, as I say, that's what Alison wrote her piece about. It was really interesting. Um, but I, I would choose instead to focus on City's brilliance and the fact that they do lead the tie 4-3 going to the Bernabeu because, as Ian says, I think that if you were a Madrid fan watching that, you'd be thinking this isn't going to be the case that we're playing at home now, so it'll immediately turn around. This City side will still create chances. Yes, I mean, um, a a missed opportunity because so many goal-scoring opportunities were missed or or not converted but um i don't i don't think we'll be having this conversation next week because uh you know i think city have have got enough and and will do more i i i'd i'd feel fairly persuaded that they're going to go through yeah i just i just i you know listen going back to the chaos you know i know you spoke about the game against liverpool recently where Again, City were fantastic. It was a two-all draw and it was a game that they really should have won and this was a game that they really should have scored more in. And you're left thinking, why is it that they allow their opposition to have really any opportunities? And I know that we're talking about very good players and very good sides, but had they slowed the tempo down more, had they been a little bit more boring in both of those games, um, they could have beaten Real Madrid by more and they could have beaten Liverpool in that game. And yes, I know it was fine margins and maybe Raheem Sterling was onside. Um, but you wonder whether, and you look at the Champions League final against Chelsea last season as well, whether the idea of these chaos matches is actually the thing that's going to hold them back because yes, in the chaos, they too can thrive because they're an excellent side. But I almost feel like they're more likely to come away against the bigger sides with better results if they slowed it down a little bit. And that's just that's just me. That's just me, okay? City fans, I know you're screaming. We won the game 4-3. How dare you? But, you know, I don't think Real Madrid 
were on City's level, but they took those moments, those opportunities absolutely brilliantly because that's what they can do. Ian, I wanted to ask about this idea of um, the chaos theory, if you like. Have Real existed like that in the in La Liga as well this season, or is it they save it for these moments against English clubs in the Champions League? Yeah, far more. I mean, they, they this weekend they they, they will probably uh, wrap up the league, and and I think you'd have to say dispassionately that it's been one of the easier ligas to win this season, um, but. Uh, Generally, no, they don't. They don't. They don't get. Um, they don't get stretched apart domestically like like City did to them. Um, mind you, I mean, very few teams would be. Um, uh, and and in fact, defensively, they've been they've been very good. Courtois had an excellent season. Uh, most of the time, people haven't missed Sergio Ramos and Varane, who both left in the summer. So no, and. Um, there's a fair amount of order to their to their sort of weekend work, as it were, certainly compared with what we saw the other night. Um, but as to whether it as to whether it suits them, um, it, in a sense, it, it does because there is a, a huge vat of confidence that um, no game is ever lost, which is easy to say in the dressing room. But I think if you are in your mid thirties and have achieved like Luka Modric and and Tony Cross and and Karim Benzema, you know you, you, uh, that belief is based on something. You know that you know that moments can um, can bring things back for you. And and I think to be fair to City, um, if you actually analyse the goals, there's a couple of freakish events in there. There's there's Fernandinho playing at right back. So what? Fifth choice right back for City. Um, and getting turned by Vinicius, and and there's there's Imeric Laporte's stray arm, which which is a which is something defenders shouldn't do these days. But you know those 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 are quite unlikely events, aren't they? And that's um, and that's two Madrid goals. Mm, yeah, I think um, with Cancelo back and possibly Carl Walker, it might be uh, a very long evening for Real Madrid next week. But we will see. It was a brilliant game. It got us thinking at the times about the, the greatest Champions League matches and where this ranks. And uh, Matt Dickinson uh, says Manchester United 4, Real Madrid 3 in April of 2003, the game that Ronaldo, the original, the, the best, if you like. Ronaldo, Brazilian genius, um, scored a hat-trick. Uh, Matt Lawton, the chief sports correspondent, says Juventus 2, Manchester United 3 in April of 99, of course, which was a superb game. And, of course, our very own Alison Rudd had to say AC Milan 3, Liverpool 3, in May of 2005, the Champions League final, they eventually won on penalties, of course. Um, was it was it that quality of match? Was it amongst the most memorable Champions League games of all time, Tom? I would say it was definitely worth considering in that list, for sure, just because, simply because of the kind of two battles that you had. City being, as I say, absolutely superb, in my opinion, one of the great performances in the Champions League in terms of attacking football, uh, and and Madrid having these players like Benzema still performing, having the audacity to Penenka a penalty at four two down late on in the game, just absolutely superb. One of the ones missing from that list for me was Tottenham Ajax. I think that um, as a game, you know, a lot of those teams listed there: uh, Liverpool, AC Milan, Real Madrid, Manchester United, synonymous with the European uh, top competition. But Ajax, Tottenham that season. You know, really was uh, 
not not the uh, smaller teams, but you know the the not not the behemoths of the competition. And it was an absolutely thrilling game. Broke my broke my little heart that Ajax went out. Of course, given that I was like many fell in love with them that season. But that was for drama. I think that was one of the great ties as well. Ian, what did you think about it? Was it was it up there? Because you know the Barca PSG comeback. Come on, surely that is the greatest. Well, in terms of drama, I, I, I think there's um, with these things there's a slight qualitative difference in that if it's the first leg, we appreciate it for the spectacle in front of us. Um, the ones that sometimes stick slightly more in the memory are the second legs because, of course, they're you know they're absolutely decisive. Um, I think I'd vote with Matt Lawton on this for that um, for that Juventus United semi final, which which I was at, and that that really was something quite epic and uh, again decisive because um, uh, the comeback uh, sealed the place in the in in the final. Um, uh, w- one game which we which you may remember was Deportivo four. I think I've got this right. AC Milan nil which was reversing a very very heavy Milan advantage and that 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 was that was that was real theater that one um, again because of the you know the scale of the comeback and i suppose slightly that you had an aristocrat you know n- unable to cope with a you know with a relative upstart um and uh, yeah at barcelona a psg but I, I think if you asked anybody involved in psg that night they would um they would certainly say that um, uh, the refereeing left something to be desired and perhaps it wouldn't have happened if VAR had been in use. Well, let's not ruin the legacy of great (laughs) matches, Ian. My (laughs) word. Um, Listen, it was a fantastic match. It was a fantastic match and it will live long in the memory as well. Um, The only thing that I would say finally on it, Karen Benzema, once again, absolutely superb. We're going to talk about the Ballon d'Or a little bit later on when it comes to Sadio Mane, but he's got to be right up there at the moment in terms of the best players um, in world football. And obviously, we haven't watched his league season as closely as you have, Ian, but but will he be a worthy winner? I know it's very early in the year. Yes, I think so. I mean, you know, there's the, the, there is a big imponderable. If he wins the Champions League, you know, I think it's going to be very hard to argue that he isn't a... A worthy winner, and um, again, I'm sorry to be a bit deflating, but um, this this is not one of the the harder Spanish leagues to win. But yeah, he has been absolutely the the dominant player in in the soon to be champions uh, Real Madrid, and and you know he's uh, he's he's wonderfully watchable, isn't he? Sometimes he's not the most elegant mover but but you know his instincts are just just fabulous yeah absolutely great goal with the volley off the left foot Penenka penalty in that environment in that situation absolutely superb shades of Zidane uh, from Karen Benzema so absolutely brilliant for him but his side do have work to do in that second leg next week back at the Bernabeu. City, advantage to the English club from the Premier League. The same two in the other semi-final. Liverpool 2, Villarreal 0 at Anfield. For me, that was just about it. Tie over, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Liverpool, one and a half feet in the final, I think, Tom. Yeah, I would say so. I think, well, we'll wait and see whether Ian can tell us that Villarreal have got lots, lots more to give in the home leg. But it was also strange, wasn't it? And, <laughs> um, it was also strange to kind of 
on these Champions League nights, it's difficult when we have such great drama in the first game. And then the second game, you kind of come and you see the home team completely dominating um, and uh, all things all things like that. So Liverpool completely in control. It was very strange. It was kind of like, it reminded me a little bit of the Merseyside derby, but without all the histrionics and the, the fouling and the and the screaming. You know, Villarreal kind of sat back trying to defend um, and, and doing so admirably at times, but a little bit uh, panicked. I wasn't quite sure about their playing the ball out of the back tactic because it just seemed to result in them losing it to Liverpool press. So they'll have to do something uh, quite dramatic tactically, I would say, and have to get an early goal in the second leg if they're going to do anything. What did you make of their performance, Ian? I I, I can't remember a more one-sided semi-final, actually. Um, you know, given that the scoreline wasn't absolutely massive, um, uh, they 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 had almost nothing in in Liverpool's half. There's the one the one thing you might be able to say about the second leg is that they were missing probably their most well certainly their most able attacking player, Gerard Moreno, who might be back, and at least he can he can score goals and at least he can hold the ball up. You know, because that was something they desperately needed, as Tom said. The very, very few times they were able to get beyond the, the Liverpool press, the, the, there was nothing happening with Danjuma and Chukwueze. Um So you know that's that that's Moreno's return might be one thing that they can base some uh, optimism around. But um, uh, we'd all be absolutely astonished, wouldn't we, if 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 there's any sort of comeback um, even suggested in the second leg. Ian, I've got to ask you, I mean, there is an argument raging this morning on social media after Villarreal were labelled a disgrace on British radio, national radio last night. Yes, they were. And it has it has very much irked all of the Spanish journalists or rather, um, if you like, expat British journalists in Spain who cover La Liga, who feel like it was entirely disrespectful to Unai Emery and his side. They had one shot in the game. One shot in the game. It's Champions League semi-final first leg, by the way. One shot in the game. Burnley had nine when they went to Anfield. So did Everton. Watford had five. Leeds had three. Newcastle had five. And that was before the January transfer window when they were absolutely awful. And Shrewsbury had four shots when they went to Anfield in the FA Cup this season. So, I mean, Champions League semi-finalists having won, is, is it not a disgrace? I don't think Unai Emery said, listen, let's go out there and see if we can get a shot on a shot at goal during the 90 minutes. OK, um, Liverpool were super. Uh, uh, you've listed those games that um, where other op- opponents were slightly more enterprising than Villarreal. I, I, I bet you Liverpool played better last night than they did in any of those. I'm just, you know, I'm, I can't remember the details of those matches, but um, uh, I, I, you know, Liverpool were at, Liverpool are at a crest of form and confidence and and fluency. Um, so I, I I do think they were you know they were close to they were close to unplayable for a lot of last night. Um, is it a disgrace to to go to an away leg and uh, set up defensively? Um, I'm not sure if 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 Villarreal much more of a disgrace than they were for periods against Juventus and Bayern in the previous round, where where it worked for them. So um, I think Unai Emery knows the capabilities of the players he got he's got, and and I think he 
he manages this team as as with as practically effectively as 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 he can with them so so no i i i i wouldn't label him a disgrace i think you know i think he's chasing the very very slender possibility of of snatching something yeah, extremely slender if you have one shot, though. I think that's the point, isn't it? I mean, what would you say about their performance, Tom? I mean, come on, Hugh, come on. Don't be doing this to us. Not now. I thought you I thought you were a fan of the anti-football these days. I thought you were not, you know, not, not into this argument about, oh, they've only had one shot. Look, Ian, as ever, far more diplomatic and far more sophisticated in his answer than I'll be. Absolute nonsense. Like Liverpool are one of the great sides. We can't talk about being one of the great sides ever. One of the most brilliant to watch, most ferocious, uh, most physically intimidating. And then expect a side like Villarreal with a tiny wage budget. You can't go into the game laughing and joking and saying, oh, Villarreal have got a load of Tottenham rejects, which in lots of respects, they genuinely do. Dan Juma was playing for Bournemouth last season. He's a very talented player, but that's the reality of what they're up against. And so, as Ian says, Unai Emery is trying to do the best he can with the squad that he's got. And the achievement they've made this season already by reaching this stage is phenomenal. And they go back to the home game in the second leg, 2-0 down. Fine. That's going to be difficult. We're all saying they're probably going to go out. But if they score early, they're in the tie. So, I absolute rubbish to be talking about shots on target and things like that. You do what you can to try and win a game, to try and win a tie. And Unai, if Unai Emery thinks that's the best way, then that's fine. They're not 3-0 down, they're not 4-0 down. They probably would have been if they tried to have more shots on target. Yeah, no, no, listen, I just wanted to explore the topic. But I think as neutrals in the Champions League, in a tie as big as this a semi-final, some fans felt a little bit short-changed by the approach. You know, they, they maybe had a right to expect more, Tom. No, definitely not. Rubbish again. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. We, like Unai Emery and Villarreal don't owe us anything. They owe their fans who travelled to that game something and their fans will probably leave going, bloody hell, Liverpool are pretty good. I think we're, we're pretty pleased to only be 2-0 down. We'll make loads of noise in the, the second leg and see what we can do. They don't owe the rest of us. They don't owe BT anything. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> Sadio Mane then, let me move on very swiftly to Sadio Mane and that Ballon d'Or conversation I mentioned a little bit earlier on. Jurgen Klopp was being asked about it after the game and said, look, we don't think about it. It's irrelevant, basically. Um, But he is another player who is on that short list, if you like, um, for the Ballon d'Or. He got a goal in the game. He once again underlined his value. He's a player who, at the start of the season, we're talking about contract negotiations coming towards... Uh, having one year left on on his deal and and Mo Salah needing this massive improved contract and whether he would be the sacrificial lamb, if you like, to create that that extra money for Salah. They they couldn't let Sadio Mane go now. In fact, he should be rightly spoken about in terms of the best players in the world at the moment, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, importantly in the way... The, the thinking sometimes goes with with the Ballon d'Or. You know, he has he has won uh, a major international tournament as well with his country, uh, the Afcon, and it is absolutely crucial to uh, Senegal and and their rise. Um, he's, I think, even in in the last few weeks, he's he's reminded us of something important about him that that um, 
he he is very good across all the positions of the front four. The Luis Diaz arrival has slightly changed the, I suppose, the mechanics of Liverpool going forward. And you know he's 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 brilliant through the middle, isn't he? He's 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 a great poacher. He's a great creator. Um, he, he's a wonderfully generous teammates to to those around him. So um, I, I I personally would be would be pleased to see him win the Ballon d'Or. Um, but I, but I I think at the moment he'd probably be behind Benzema in the sort of global assessment of this. Mane's a fascinating one because actually there was a period I think it probably counts towards last year where he wasn't quite in the team. He wasn't he hadn't scored for a while, um, and so the kind of evolution and the change that he's undergone this season um, for Liverpool has been fascinating. And I think that's another thing that should be factored in, in the same way that with Benzema towards the end of his career and is now being as good as ever. That's another great factor to bring into play as well. So I'm enjoying the fact that there's a broad debate to be had, and I'm sure there'll be more players who will be in contention. And there are also more broad debates to be had as well in football, because um, this has shown up that there's a possibility of another all English Champions League final. We could end up with three English winners or three British winners in UEFA club competitions this season. And I think if that does happen, um, all of these conversations that we've had around the Super League, and I think there was a broad consensus across the continent that that was going to be bad for football. But actually, we might be a little bit more divided if um, if there is a clean sweep of English winners here, that the Premier League and the money there is a good thing for football, especially when we look at what's going on with some of the title races. Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga have made it 10 in a row, of course. And there's been lots of talk about how they bridge the gap because they haven't really... Um, had a side that could compete at the top level in the Champions League this season, although some say they should have got past Villarreal. But, um, you know, the question is really whether money is breaking football, whether it's, for, for me personally, whether it's time for a salary cap, whether we enforce something uh, that can make these teams, you know, more even. Well, it would be lovely, wouldn't it? I would then go back to the points that you and others have made about Villarreal and think, well, isn't it wonderful of what the achievement they've made so far? So let's keep that in mind when it comes to salary caps and the dominance of big sides in Europe. I think you're quite right to to make the, to raise the point, though, um, as many I have this week and in the last few weeks, particularly when you think about Bayern's dominance. And I think in the British media and British fans can easily look at the title race and the seesawing effect of the Liverpool-Man City battle and be like, everything's fine. We've got great great levels of competition when actually that's maybe not true. Um, I don't know whether Ian would agree the way Barcelona have kind of come back from that seeming crisis um, to, to look in a much better state quite quickly. I don't know whether how true that statement would be. But... I mean, the reality is there isn't going to be any kind of salary cap. Um, but you do wonder at what point the money hits the peak. Um, it will be fascinating to see this summer. You know, we're talking about salary caps, but we're then talking about Erling Haaland on the move. Will Lewandowski be on the move? Harry Kane. All these players will be going for absolutely huge sums of money to all of these big clubs and making them only stronger. It's hard to see how that changes. Um, and actually, that's why we should revel in stories like Villarreal and others who can challenge these big sides and upset them because in reality, 
the competition is only streamlining towards in it what is in effect a European Super League because these sides are so dominant financially and on the pitch. What do you think of it all, Ian? Um, is the competition in European football where it should be? If we appreciate a continental competition for its diversity, then, um, you know, English dominance is, uh, while, the, while the standard of football is clearly fantastic, um, it's probably moving a little bit away from, you know, what was intended when the European Cup was invented. As for, as for salary caps, well, of course, there are quite a lot of things happening being agreed that have a hint of salary cap. I mean, from... Uh, UEFA and the European Club Association will approve what looks like a, a more forceful model for for balancing costs against income um, in the next for the next phase of of the Champions League. Um, these clubs, you know, these big clubs want to put a ceiling on salaries. Um, you know, they, they don't they don't like seeing all their money shooting into players and agents' uh, pockets. Um, but um, oh, you know, clearly, uh, the bigger clubs will continue to spend much more than the, the smaller clubs. Um, the, the the English clean sweep of Europe is is quite interesting. I mean, the Conference League, which has turned out, I think, to be pleasantly surprisingly entertaining um you know when we thought it was a bit of a dreary um clogging up of the calendar early on i mean that's that the purpose of the conference league at one level is to give european nights to clubs from countries that don't normally get them now it has done that um these countries from uh, with clubs that don't normally play in europe aren't going to win it um so you know if leicester city do go and win it then yes it might feel like a little bit like the premier league barging into territory that was reserved for uh for lesser nations but um you know i, I, I it's we, we've we've got a good spread of of clubs in in the final stages and 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 it's been quite fun so um i don't think there'll be a premier league clean sweep of all competitions from here on in you know things do go up and down um uh but yeah i mean it's uh, you're right we 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 are looking at a super league under under different terms at, at the top level in the champions league yeah it's a tough one looking at buy-in winning 10 in a row in the bundesliga i've been listening to so many conversations about how the bundesliga becomes more competitive and i was listening to people saying you know even if it's 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 competitive here we then need to go to europe and, and we still won't be as competitive as the likes of, um, you know, I think, we bear in mind, we have Chelsea, who are not really factoring this season. I know they got to the quarterfinal in the Champions League, but in terms of that Premier League title race, they're far behind, and they are the European and Club World Cup champions, and they're pretty much the third best team in England, and the two teams at the top are probably the two most magnificent teams we've ever seen. It's not all about money. Liverpool haven't just spent their way to having a brilliant team, and neither have Manchester City, although they've spent much, much more. It does take a lot of work out there on the on the training pitch, um, but there is no other major competitive advantage other than money, it seems, you know, and, and I don't know how it spreads around, but I do think if we continue to have all English Champions League finals, there might be some more drastic rules being made around spreading it around a little bit. Um, I was reading a little bit earlier on in the Times as well about the fact that some of this money 
um, could be spread differently in the championship, which I think would be a good thing. And it would be the, the similar model to the Premier League. So parachute payments stop and it goes to all of the clubs uh, in the championship and more money spread to League One and League Two as well. So if that is the future of English football, believe it or not, we probably get stronger <laughs> in terms of a nation uh, rather than weaker. So there you go. We'll see what the future holds uh, in terms of that competitive advantage across Europe. Uh, we'll be talking about one of the teams dominant domestically, Paris Saint-Germain next after their record equaling 10th French league title. Uh, we'll also talk about some of those games to come in the Europa League a little bit later on as well. So stay with us on the game. So the big but uh, not shocking news in France is that Paris Saint-Germain have confirmed a record equaling 10th French league title with four games to spare last weekend. There have been reports since, though, that their manager, Mauricio Pochettino, will be sacked, mainly due to their lacklustre last 16 exit in the Champions League. Ian, is this likely? Do you think it will happen? It's hard to imagine Mauricio Pochettino being in charge of PSG next season. Um, and it's <laughs> it's been very hard to imagine him smiling, if that is the case, to be honest. Um, I... I He's he's not had an altogether happy time there, in spite of the fact you know he has now won a title. You know, our big or the game's big doubt about Pochettino was was significant silverware, wasn't it? Until until last Saturday night, um, so he's in this strange position that that you know he, he's you know he's achieved something important for his CV. Um, at the same time, as giving the impression that that um, he'd very very happily walk out of there to a more reward uh, a more professionally rewarding job and I, I, I psg coaches get sacked very very frequently the champions league exit was um was a huge frustration to the people who run the club so i think by that stage they they became convinced that they wanted somebody other than pochettino so i i, I think now we're into a um um, he, he's not going to resign because he's got a year on his contract and, and why should he? So I think we're now into the negotiations about about his payoff and, you know, possibly accelerated by him getting offers to go somewhere else. Um, as for who replaces him, there's, you know, there's, there's enthusiasm for 
Zidane at PSG because obviously he's a French icon. He's been very, very successful in quite a short time as a coach at Madrid. Um, but there's another job that I think Zidane would find more tempting, which would be the French national team. And of course, the World Cup having been moved to November, December means that uh you know, you you can't you you have to you have to keep yourself free for after that if 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 a national team job is what you want. So you know, those are the those are the complications um, into which is also thrown inevitably Antonio Conte's name because his name is always thrown into these debates. I can't really see that happening, but who knows? We'll come to them in more detail, especially Conte and Zidane. But for, for Pochettino, what has gone wrong at, at PSG? Why isn't he being given more time? Well, the the club's natural impatience to to achieve something in the Champions League. Um, He has achieved a semi-final in which they were comfortably beaten um, by Manchester City and, of course, a a very, very memorable meltdown when they were knocked out by Real Madrid. So that's, you know, that's two two underachievements as far as PSG are concerned. They were in the final the year before he arrived – after which they sacked Thomas Tuchel within a matter of months. So you know, there's, there's, there's quite a, quite a level of impatience at that club, with with managers. And from that, you have to understand that, really, the way they value the office of manager is 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 quite low. It's you know, there's it's, it's a it's a high turnover. And also, I think Pochettino is, in a way, Pochettino's skills. Um, just not maybe the right fit for that club. He's he's very very good at developing younger players, bringing them through, creating that that tight environment. And I'm I'm just not sure if if the, the club of Neymar and and Messi is is best geared to that. What do you think about Pochettino and a possible return to the Premier League, Tom? Maybe a job job swap with Antonio Conte. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Um, I know a few Tottenham fans I was speaking to at work who said this almost seems too obvious and we'll get Christian Eriksen back too and we'll we'll party like it's 2018 all over again. I don't think it would be right for Pochettino to go back to Tottenham. I also wonder now with Eric Ten Hag having been confirmed as Manchester United manager whether Pochettino to United will be the great Brian Clough to England of our generation in terms of it never happening and everyone constantly going, well, what if they'd gone for Poch at this point? What if they'd gone for Poch at that point? Um, It it leaves him in a difficult position because you think about the managers that Ian alluded to there that had gone to PSG and in lots of ways, I, I, I kind of think it's the job that no one, I don't know why you would want to go to PSG at this point because they've, they win so many titles. They win the title fairly easily. They've got this, squad of hugely talented players yeah I I hate to be that guy but when you watch them in uh, the French League it isn't the most invigorating uh, experience to watch them in those games and then they ultimately often let themselves down in the Champions League so I don't know why a manager would go there but when you think of Tuchel Ancelotti others they've got out of PSG and got somewhere else pretty quickly just in order to change the reputational shtick that comes with it. And I'm not quite sure where Poch goes um, if it's not going to be that job swap with Tottenham. So it'll be really interesting if if and when he leaves, as we're led to believe, that where, where he goes next, um, because I'm not quite sure what other job in England you'd end up with. Um, 
yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. And I feel for him in a way because, as Ian says, his his major thing at Tottenham was that he, that he failed in those big games, couldn't quite get the really talented squad to win a trophy. And he's he's now got a trophy on his CV, but we're all talking about him in a fairly negative way. Do you think he could go to the Premier League again? Maybe a return to Spurs? Would that work for him? It, it doesn't often work, does it? The, those... Uh, uh, those comebacks um, when when you know when the when the basis of 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 the old squad is still there, you know it's just uh, football has an endless appetite for progress, and and clubs and teams and players need the idea of progress, moving on, momentum. Um, I, he he'd clearly be hugely welcomed by quite a lot of the players by. By majority of the of, of the fans, but also, but I, I I'm I'm not sure if Pochettino doesn't need that idea of of moving on and progress as well. Now, if he looked, if he turned, if he looked at Spurs and and said, "Wow, this is a convincingly improved setup, squad, budget than 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 I had before," then yes, maybe it would work. But um, I, I, you know, I think I think his idea of his development would probably be to have 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 an element of a fresh challenge and and you know and and, and show what he's good at. I, I'm not sure if at PSG he's been able to show what he's good at, and he is. You know, he's got some really unique gifts as a manager. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for him because he had that time out, didn't he, after Spurs. Before he went to PSG, there was so much talk about Manchester United. They've now got Eric Ten Hag. They had Solskjaer at the time. And you think about his options this summer if he were to lose his job. And at the moment, nothing screams Pochettino needs to take this job or this club need him. Not not out of the, the really top elite side. So he's leaving a Paris Saint-Germain. I can't see even a sideways step here. I mean, there might be... Um, some some big teams in the Champions League that would be interested in him, in him, of course there would, but the squad that he has at Paris Saint-Germain, the budget that he has at Paris Saint-Germain, I don't see him, him getting any time soon. But he can't, I don't think he can leave himself out there without a job for so long. I agree with you. He, he needs to get back like, like Tuchel did. I mean, maybe it'll be Chelsea. Who knows what will happen with their ownership? But there, there definitely needs to be, I think, a quick return to football for him. I don't know if PSG has enhanced his reputation in any way, apart from the fact he's won a title. I don't think his sides play better football than his Tottenham team. Um, and I, I don't see as a manager that really enhancing you. But there you go. That's Pochettino. Um, Antonio Conte to Paris. Would he want to do that? Would Conte want to go to PSG, given the start that he's had at Tottenham, Tom? I don't know. Again, as I said previously, I'm not quite sure why any manager, particularly of Conte's level, would want to go to PSG because your only real goal is to try and win the Champions League. And as we've just discussed already with Manchester City, Real Madrid, Liverpool and other teams improving, that's an incredibly big ask. And you end up, as you've just said about Pochettino, uh, harming your reputation if you like rather than improving it so other than I wouldn't be surprised if Conte and his people are maybe using the PSG situation as a bit of leverage for that we talked about him kind of having a bit of a moan and a complain which got him some of what he wanted in the January window I wouldn't be surprised whether this is a kind of bit of more of a power play 
um, from him at Tottenham heading into the summer to make sure keep Harry Kane and buy three or four top quality players to give me that chance to really compete in the top four and maybe win it, win a trophy. I, I could be wrong, um, and we could well see Conte in Paris, but from what we know of Conte, I don't know whether winning winning the French league and being dumped out of the Champions League at the quarterfinals would be all that appealing to him. I'm not sure. Would it would it appeal to him in any way, Ian? You know, we've been talking about the, the big question mark over Pochettino not winning any silverware. The big and, and now quite enduring question mark over Antonio Conte is, can he do it in Europe? Now, given that this is so obviously PSG's uh, criteria, you know, there's there's... There's a question to be asked there about about whether he really is a strong candidate for this job, and I do slightly. Well, I do agree with Tom that uh, there's probably all sorts of agendas behind this particular story. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I, I I think he 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 would clearly have some quite beneficial effects initially on on PSG, but uh, you know, I think I think the the, the level of combat in the dressing room of Conte arrived there, given some of the individuals who have privileged positions at PSG. Well, I'd love to watch it. Before we go, there is one story that is linked to Europe that I think we do need to talk about. Martin Ziegler reporting in The Times that the two-legged semi-finals in the Champions League will go and finals week. Yes, a new date for your diaries. Finals week. A single game in the semi-finals of the Champions League followed a few days later by the Champions League final. My initial response to this was, why not have a finals fortnight or finals few weeks? Well, I mean, I don't understand it. Why not just reserve, you know, make the season shorter and just reserve the European football for the end of the season? We can all end with a a festival, quarterfinal, semi-final, final. We can all pitch up in, in Lisbon or or Munich and have a great, you know, 14 days. Why, why make it seven? Almost, Hugh, dare I say it, like a league, like a like a super league. Is that what you're getting at? I think you're careful here. Careful, you're giving them exactly what they want. Um, I, I don't know, particularly on a podcast where we started talking about the great semi-final ties and Champions League ties over the years and the ebb and flow that comes with them the Deportivo second leg that I think Ian mentioned earlier on, it would be a great shame to lose that. We, we, we've got now um, a bit of time to think about Madrid City for that second leg. It would be a great shame to lose that in the um, in the way that we build up to it and get excited about it. I, I, it sounds like a terrible idea to me, but maybe that's just me being grumpy. It is a terrible idea, but, you know, we, we had a European championship that was held in different cities. You know, why not have it over a month? You know, let's have the group stages, all the knockouts, you know, just have a club, club Euros. Yeah, club European Championship. I, I don't know what you would call it. Champions League Cup. I, I you'd call know, it a Super League. You'd call it a Super League. <laughs> Come on, man. You're trying to do, think of different words. You know you've bought, you're bought and paid for, Wozencroft. I can't believe it. Do you know what I dislike about it? Um, it's, the, it's the slow, insidious way that the changes are made. We'll get rid of away goals. You you won't notice much. Then then we'll get rid of one of the legs. You know. Then we'll put it all in one city. You won't. You know. I just. I, d- I don't like it. I don't like it because actually, I think. I think it's actually key for the Champions League and the best way to ensure that the two best teams get to the final is to have two legs 
Um, I, I spoke about the season where Paris Saint-Germain reached a final and I said, the fact that there's one leg helps them because in a straight shootout, you've got Kylian Mbappe, you've got Neymar, you've got a chance. But over two legs, I don't think they can beat some of the better sides around them. But in a single game, they could. And I actually think that having single leg knockouts, um, there's a good chance that you will get teams in the final. Maybe given what we said a little bit earlier on about the English dominance, this might be a good thing, but single leg knockouts, I think a little bit like the FA Cup, you know, you're going to get surprising results and you're going to get teams knocked out in a more surprising manner more often. And that's one of the reasons that I dislike it. Ian Hawkey, what are your views on it? I mean, this is, this is, this is the way uh, football is going that um, they, it's, it's harder and harder to stage a Champions League final on its own. There's less enthusiasm from uh, host cities and there's a limited number of stadiums that can do it. So you know, there, there is a necessary economic logic to trying to make a bit more around it. But you know exactly where this is going, don't you? Um, it'll be introduced. The week of the Festival of Football Week will catch on. People will get used to it. And then... I would say five or six years after it's been going on, it's going to be moving outside Europe. It'll be in New York. It'll be in Abu Dhabi. It'll be in Doha. Just you watch. I don't know who has to vote it through, but I'm I'm begging them, please do not. I think um, because I just don't think it would be a good change to the Champions League. But we, by the way, already have changes coming to the Champions League, and we'll see if they are actually entertaining at all. Um, but there's always a constant need for change, which annoys me as well. Because you know, why can't they just leave something that works as it is? That's all I ask. You know, the consistency there. We've all got used to it, and then they're gonna they're gonna change it once again. Anyway, before we go, um, let's talk about a semi final, which thankfully is still over two legs in the Europa League. If you're listening on Friday morning or Saturday, or clearly they've gone already. But if you've um, you've tuned in on Thursday, thank you very much for getting us as soon as we drop. Let's talk about the Europa League. RB Leipzig against Rangers, West Ham against Eintracht Frankfurt. You know I love a prediction. How do we think these ties are going to go? Ian, I'll start with you. Leipzig, clearly the favourites against Rangers, do you think? I think, maybe not emphatically clearly, but yes, I, I think Leipzig will progress from that tie. You agree, Tom? Yeah, I think so. I think Rangers had an unbelievable run in the competition, but I think they've got a few injuries as well that might um, cause them some difficulty in this tie. It would be an amazing achievement. I'm sure their fans will do everything they can to help them um, they genuinely do make a difference rather than it being the old cliche 12th man, I think. Um, but I, I think this this is this is as far as they'll go. And it's an amazing achievement to have got this far. I think Ibrox makes the difference in this tie. And, name, and mainly the fact that Ibrox is the second leg. See, another reason why second legs are an, a superb thing, because I think when Leipzig go to Glasgow... They're going to get shocked. All Rangers need to do is stay in the tie tonight. What a boring 2-0 defeat. One shot yeah. on target. One yeah. shot on target. <laughs> yeah, I could see where you were going a mile off. Uh, I think Rangers would take that tonight. Um, West Ham against Eintracht Frankfurt. I think this is the first European semi for West Ham since 1976. It's going to be a huge night at the London Stadium. You've got to... The interesting thing about West Ham is whether they deal with being favourites because... I think they are just favourites in this tie. I think, generally speaking, um, the mindset around West Ham has has changed. You know, they are the sort of club used to being underdogs and fighting in from that perspective. So to have the onus on them to go and impress themselves and, and be favourites in games, 
um, especially in Europe, is a new feeling for this squad. I think it's a very tricky tie. I, I, I would favour West Ham United, but I think they have to win their home leg. They have to win tonight. Ian, what do you think about them? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think there's um, on paper not much to choose uh, between them. And remember, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt really overwhelmed Barcelona for large parts of the the previous round. Uh, which you know, it's it's easier to do that than it used to be. But um, but they were impressive. Um, but I, I I would say West Ham. Yeah, I, I think West Ham will do it. And and also, I, I, th- I think it'll be a really entertaining tie. So yeah, you can quote me on this one. It's a nil-nil with only two shots <laughs> on target. <laughs> I'm off to the London Stadium tonight. I can't wait for it. Um, should be a fantastic atmosphere. And it also means I don't have to watch Manchester United's game against Chelsea, which is uh, also at the same time. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Manchester United have been absolutely appalling in the last couple of games. You know, I've been well into the play the kids territory for weeks. Um, If they lose this game, it is totally over. There's no point in even playing, you know, any of the big names between here and the end of the season. And I think Chelsea will come back. I think they will comfortably beat Manchester United. You know, Lukaku's probably going to get a hat-trick. You know, it will be another dire story, I think, in terms of Manchester United season, you agree, Tom? No, two nil, two nil, Man United. If anything, you know, nothing makes sense about uh, Manchester United anymore, as you say. It's all, but let might as well forget about it. But they'll they'll do something strange like that to bring themselves back into the conversation somehow. Uh, they'll play the kids. I believe Chelsea have got to make changes too. It'll be one of those very strange games. And I hope, as you say, I hope people are going to be watching Rangers and West Ham in action instead because Chelsea and Manchester United have had far too much of our attention already this season, um, and often for the wrong reasons. All of them, I think, including that one, should be intriguing contests, which we will react to on the next episode of the game. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, Tom Clark and Ian Hawkey there, and to all of you for listening as well. You should, of course you should, rate us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for more great journalism, great stories over the weekend, not to be missed. Check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game, and we will see you again on Monday. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.